What's up, Michael family? Michael Trovic here. Welcome back to my podcast, where together we are going to grow in mind, body, spirit, and mushroom. Today's episode I have been looking forward to for weeks now. Um, this is something I've wanted to share with you guys for quite some time, and that is a little bit more information on the spore side. I think we're going to get a lot of golden nuggets out of our special guests today, and it's more or less kind of just a hangout session. That's the vibe today. Nothing super official, just two mushroom nerds chopping it up. Today's guest is a civilian scientist, spore master, agar expert, and well-known community member in the mushroom uh, community. Um, I'm really honored to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on today. We have Mr. Basidium Equilibrium. Welcome to the show, bro. How are you? Thanks, buddy. I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Man, it's an honor. It's a pleasure. Um, it was an even bigger honor and pleasure meeting you in person at the Oklahoma Mushroom Festival, which was such a cool event. And I actually got to attend your class, which was so good. I was happy I had my girlfriend there. So that was like her first exposure to the uh, mycology world, the community, and for her to go to your class and see from spore, the whole entire cycle. Maybe we can kind of touch on that a little bit today too, but I don't want today to be a class, but man, this like, um, it's been cool over the last few years, just being like a follower of yours You've always given me inspiration. Um, I have many talking points to to like go on today, but um, man, thank you just for your contributions to our community and the. I would say me personally for like the for me wanting to advance in my knowledge base and grow and do things that are tough or hard or different. But it's helped me to, and you've given me so much. Just even this like dog advice like with my doberman like <laughs> so we've got so much to talk about man so yeah, yeah so, so i guess let's begin by um what's the origin story so how did you fall into the world of mycology and how in the world did it blossom into what you have um today obviously um today's episode is a non-video episode we're gonna be doing just audio but man if you guys can see what i see Bass has a very cool lab setup, and I kind of want to talk maybe about some of your equipment too. But how did you go from like spore to now? Now you know, like yeah, how did you begin? yeah. Uh, the origin story is I feel like so much of my journey has been this strange, complex circumstance. Um, it's been very interesting because it's always seems to be so multi layered. Uh, when I started. Um, I, my very first spores I bought were in 2015 and I got them from some little page on Facebook that was kind of like up and down. Like they were there one day and gone the next, uh, which was more, I, I would say more of a common occurrence at that time. Cause I tried to get my first spores off of the forums through guys that were doing like mail order spores. And I think a lot of people probably from back in that time period could share a similar story, but you know, I sent off money and never got anything. No so kind of like went after uh, going to try to see if I could find them from somewhere else. And, wow. uh, but you know, it's a, uh, it was a very different world back then. You know, it was like the fact that there was anyone offering them at all in the first place was really cool. And uh, I didn't really know anyone personally yet in the forum world. So um, I did get my hands on some and we started I started in a closet, you know, like a two foot by two foot closet and yeah. I bought a case of jars of Presto and 
uh, got boogieing. But the the real uh, the real bug started because I had moved into a little home, kind of backed into a forest uh, in 2015, and uh, walked into the yard <clears throat> the day we got the keys, and there was a flush of morel mushrooms in the backyard, just like right out in the open. Whoa. It was so cool, and. Uh, I became completely obsessed. I used to be a chef uh, in my 20s. And that was, you know, it was a huge portion of my life. Uh, it was really embedded in the fine dining world. And so I, I had seen morels. I was familiar with morels. Wow. I liked mushrooms. I was a big, avid, like, cyclist and mountain biker and hiker. So I was always in the woods. Uh, but it wasn't something that had sparked some interest that, uh, that, it, that it is now. Um, when I saw those morels though, it definitely did it like something I was not interested in cooking them. I was interested in the why, why are they there? How did they get there? Uh, so I got into slurries and spreading morel spores all over my yard and finding little areas I could keep propagating them. And, uh, so it turned into this like whole thing, which kind of spider webbed into this, um, entirely different uh, motivator. Um, I, I guess just to share something about myself is I, I had at the time my son was two years old and uh, my son was just diagnosed with autism. And uh, he's uh, like so many people I've met, you know, there's the wide range of spectrum, you know, like if, if you're uh, consider, considered autistic, um, we have like people who are like savants and others that just struggle with little things like social behaviors. And, uh, my son is pretty severely autistic. So he's got a lot of like stimming issues. And I was in my, uh, mid twenties. Uh, so it was for me as like a young guy, you know, I was a new father still. Um, I had came across a video, uh, in my obsession over fungi. And, uh, they were talking about a research program that was going on at the university of Chicago about psilocybin neuroplasticity and neurogenesis and potential implications of that uh, helping as a therapeutic for people with ASD, um, specifically people with like severe autism spectrum disorder, where it impairs their ability to communicate, walk, um, function, you know, in really basic ways that a lot of us just don't ever think about. Um, so as soon as I saw and read this, I like dove right into the research articles and, um, that was it. I mean, that was really the catalyst that catapulted me into this space. Um, that's why I bought spores. That's why I got, I had to know, I had to know why I had to understand it. And because it was so fringe and even the research that was going on at the time, was still seemed like such huge hurdles had to be overcome even mm -hmm. for like, you know, really well established universities and really highly accredited professionals, just having a hard time getting clearance to study and look into these kinds of things for medical purposes. So, uh, you know, of course I think like any, I think anyone that has this kind of, uh, passion for their own family would do the same, you know, and I just dove in head deep. I feel like um, I really just dove into the ocean without a paddle. I didn't care. It was like, we're just going to do this. Mm. So, and that's really, that's been the driving force behind it all, you know, and just kind of 
rolled into it for a very personal reason. And in some other weird, complex way, uh, it was exactly what I needed personally. So, uh, you know, fungi kind of came in, swooped in, um, consumed my mind 24 seven. Um, but, uh, for the best things possible. And it was like all such healthy, healthy personal growth throughout it. And I learned so much about myself, the natural world around me. Uh, it's just been this ever evolving journey really. So it's just been really kind of a wonderful thing. That's amazing, man. I, I think very similarly, like one of the first things that came to my mind when you're just telling me uh, that about your son was there, there's a, so many people in like the cannabis community that uh, were, you know, utilizing CBD for like seizures and things of that nature. You know, like I have, you know, that's kind of like why I, it resonates because that's kind of why I got into cannabis and why I'm even aware of things like mushrooms because um, growing up, I had an, an aunt who went through cancer treatment and it killed her immune system. And there was a time in which she was basically, she wasn't able to eat. Her body just wasn't, she just didn't want to eat. And she yeah. was like days and days without eating. She was already super weak. And then finally we got her to eat a weed brownie and uh, she went ham on like, you know, dinner that night and it fucking saved her. And I was like, oh my God, like this plant that everybody demonizes like works. So have you found, what kind of other uh, research have you like since, you know, since that time when, you know, with your son and, and the inspiration of um, these compounds, like, has there any been any, any like big leaps um, that have been interesting to you or like that? Yeah, there's actually a number of groups that are working on different research projects uh, in relation to things like ASD and uh, Alzheimer's. And mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of these groups can be found there. Most of them are universities uh, because of the ones that are getting the clearance through uh, drug administration regulation uh, agencies in different countries. Uh, there is a university in Italy. I cannot remember the name of the uh, the Italian university specifically off the top of my head, but they are conducting and have been for the last five years, uh, some big clinical research trials, uh, specifically for Alzheimer's, um, autism spectrums. Uh, so I think there's a, a really good outlook for understanding exactly how and which crowd can really benefit from psilocybin on a medical level. Um, I think, most of the people that would be tuning into your podcast are well aware of the benefits and probably why psilocybin can benefit all of us. But mm -hmm. uh, specifically for people in the medical world, uh, PTSD being one of the big catalysts, um, you know, as you being a veteran, thank you for your service, by the way. Um, it's a huge driving force uh, for me, too, because I'm not a veteran, but I grew up with one uh, my whole life. And he's a 30 year vet. And uh, my father is a great guy, but he had some troubles and challenges after the service and um, seemed to be surrounded by veterans. And they're such a huge part of our society and they deserve healing from their experiences. So I think that's another huge driving force. So of course we're going to, it always kind of boils back to this medical focus. Uh, and I think yep. that's, what's going to push research and clinical research into areas that really need to be studied um, so yeah, yeah, I think the, uh, that those research programs, honestly, if I could mention one research group, specifically maps and, um, the Beckley foundation, uh, Beckley foundation is a UK based, 
uh, foundation uh, headed by this woman named Amanda Fielding, and they're amazing people. Uh, they're really spearheading a lot of different research trials and their nonprofit group, uh, like MAPS. I do like uh, the Beckley Foundation quite a bit. Actually, Mana uh, from Heaven and I did a donation drive for them with genetics uh, to kind of help donate from our end of the community. So it's a really cool thing to kind of try and take part of because we can make a difference. Um, and they acknowledged it too. They reached out and were thanking us for that. And uh, it's a really cool thing to see that. I feel like our little niche pockets of our community that are all over the internet can really move some mountains. You know, we can kind of push the ball forward. So we just have to try. I agree with that. I think that just like in, you know, there's a fact, I don't know if it's true, but you know, I hear it time from time that the only reason like the U S economy didn't like tank more than it did in the 2008, 2009 recession period was because of the like underground drug market. Not that like I'm relating psilocybin and what we're doing to that, but in a way, the research, because of how clandestine it is, and then those who are willing to go out of their way to provide data and their their process and things like that to the greater community has really moved the needle forward. And that's where I'm at now. I want to like kind of contribute to the greater community of mycology and not just be like, you know, an A1 expert grower and have really nice flushes. And even like to the point of like, I'm, you know, I'm doing breeding work and that's cool and all, but, um, I just had a podcast with someone recently, um, who made me look like a child in the breeding process. And I realized what I'm doing. I have to, you know, I'm trying to think bigger pictures. So that's yeah. kind of why you're, you've always been appealing to me because, you know, just even like, I think the appearance, uh, you know, having a microscope, I have one, I've used it like several times, but I haven't really like done much research. I really haven't like looked into the, the micro levels of like, you know, things that we can't even see. That's kind of what I'm, um, what I'm interested in is like, what kind of things have you found out or, uh, obsessed about, or what, where's your, your own personal research led you and like, what's most exciting in, in your, your day and day or just overall, like, um, cause like even in your name, Basidium, you know, you, you like, you're very spore focused. I would say what, what, uh, can you just kind of dive into to that? Yeah. Um, so I think I, I definitely could piggyback off the idea of, you know, it's always nice to have perfect flushes, but there, there is a point once you learn how to cultivate, uh, that there's like other levels you got to start like layering into. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think everyone can start as a farmer. It's a good place to start and figure out for yourself. It's a really good challenge to, you know, like, how do I do this? You know, how do I make my observations, get that nice grow. And then from there it's, you know, you need more. So, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that I focused on for a long time was just trying to understand how they grow. Um, which again, because psilocybin so lacking so much information behind it, um, I quickly turned away from things like shroomery forums and, uh, yeah. uh that kind of, you know, <laughs> there's just nothing there of any real value unless you want to just go back and forth on some stuff that's basic. But, um, so one of, one of the things I wanted to understand before I got into studying like chemistry is I wanted to understand the anatomy at not a, not in like a broad, uh, very basic approach. I mean, we can all look up a quick 
diagram of a life cycle of a mushroom. A lot of mycologists have created these. Uh, there's thousands of them on the internet, um, but they really don't highlight the intricacies of what's actually happening with the organism. And there's so much more there. And so that was been a real hard drive focus for me in my own personal research. And um, so, you know, I really relied on going into um, studying other types of mushrooms. So uh, guild mushrooms are in the family of the city of Mycetes. And one of the big focuses for me was trying to see how many of the things transcribed over to psilocybin mushrooms, specifically cubensis, because it's the most uh, handled and um, at least for myself. Uh, but uh, one of the things I wanted to do was look through some of the anatomies and find out how, why they colonize, how they digest, and kind of get you a more in-depth look into the actual organism and how it functions and under lives. Uh, because that way, it, it's this comes this like all-encompassing picture. It, it's really easy to like throw a tub, grow, follow some steps. It's almost like baking a cake. You know, mm -hmm. if you find the right person like yourself, who's got great information uh, and there's so many other guys that are putting out good informationals, step-by-step texts and things like that. So if you find a good one, you're going to have success, but like getting to the point, like, why does it have success? How did it get there? And uh, I started working with genetics pretty much right out of the gate. Um, and that was because uh, to be totally blunt, uh, I was super on a tight budget and I couldn't afford the hobby. Uh, and I started sharing some genetics pretty early on. And um, yeah, it's helped me kind of like fund my hobby in my, my obsession. So I bought a microscope. I got a camera. Um, it, these microscopes come with these softwares. I was able to start taking pictures and kind of dive into the anatomies, learn how to do oil immersions and uh, come up with my own techniques of using a microscope because you can't just rely on the outside world to teach you how to do stuff. You have to make on-the-spot observations. Uh, and that is the biggest critical point of teaching is, is teaching yourself through observation. True. So, True. yeah, observe, watch. You know, in the beginning, I used to take uh, onslaught of notes. I used to draw stuff in my journal. I have this old leather bound journal that's full spore prints and all sorts of crazy stuff that I wrote uh, when I first started. And uh, I was drawing diagrams of mycelium and documenting like what I was finding. Uh, now I know that they're like organelle structures inside of a bureaucratic cell and how they carry their nutrition through their cytoplasm and and we, we cover a lot of this stuff. We started, I started doing a class called uh, Agar Alchemy, um, just to kind of share a more, let's say, in-depth look into the anatomy of cubensis and fungi, specifically psilocybin mushrooms. Um, and that is all just to understand how to treat it right. Because if you have, if you have a healthy organism that you're going to consume, then it's good, right? Like you can treat it right, create a healthy product and something that you would be okay with ingesting. And at the time I was eating a lot of mushrooms. So mm -hmm. I wanted a really high quality fruit for myself um, specifically. So it's kind of like the no-till 
approach to cannabis maybe, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of using uh, extracted nutritions, I'm using natural resources to provide the appropriate microbiome to the fungi so that way they can flourish and keep um, their natural integrities, which I'm looking at from like a data standpoint, more of a balanced alkaloids, right? So um, that's kind of where the whole like basidium equilibrium thing kind of comes in. That's also this like weird complex uh, kind of trippy name in itself um, because the equilibrium part is uh, like threefold. It's like a vector equilibrium, which is like the equilibrium of all things geometry within the existence of our physical world. Mm-hmm at the same time, bringing this balance into your own psyche and yourself within your own life. And then at the, another level of that is bringing balance to the organism that is already naturally balanced in its own way. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, bringing nature into a controlled environment and honoring it in that way, instead yep. of, um, I don't know, trying to get it to colonize plastics and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I have yet to be able to make it to one of your classes, unfortunately. Um, I did get like kind of a snapshot of it at the the Oklahoma Mushroom Festival. How often are you running those? Just really quickly, like kind of a sidecar. Um, and and how can people find those or be a part of those? Uh, yeah, it's usually whenever um, time is available. Uh, that seems to be the most finite resource right now. It's just time. Um, I do like hosting them instead of like just putting a generic recording. And the, really the main reason for that is because when we host the class, we get this whole new group of personalities and different people from different walks of life. And that breathes life into these classes. It's just like the most incredible thing. Uh, they have all these different people from all over the place joining because that's what really gives the, the, the class, it's in my opinion, this like different energy every time. Yeah. Um, so each class is totally unique. Uh, we host them typically during the colder months during the summer. I usually won't host any. Uh, we are going to be posting some recordings available so people can just kind of like jump in, listen at their own uh, leisure because the class is super long. Like last class, I think we ran a solid four, four hours. Nice. Um, but, you know, the really cool thing is it's for me, it always reignites my uh, like flame and passion for what I do, being able to teach people, because some of this stuff I've learned so many years ago that I forget that this is still something that's not super tangible for a lot of folks. So I really try and cross those um for, for a lack of a better way to put it, I'm really just trying to cross like a intellectual gap that I think is commonly put out by science reviewed biology and any of these kind of science-based biological, biological subjects where people can become maybe a little intimidated. So I just try to make sure that there's always good analogies and like cross references like, hey, don't be nervous getting into this, especially if you're super brand new, because it's not as hard as you might think. You jump into some of these materials and um, sometimes you're like, wow, what am I getting in myself into? Like, what am I reading about? Like, what the heck's a polysaccharide? You know, mm-hmm. so 
uh, just trying to make it very accessible to everyone and give people a good foundation of a learning. So yeah, hopefully uh, we'll have some more classes uh, in the new year. I think we're done for this year for sure. So speaking of this year almost being done, what are some of your like bigger picture for 2024, either like personal goals or your, your, I guess, business and your, the space you're in, how are you going to utilize it? Like what's most exciting to you right now? Because I think like I'm at a point where, yeah, like making it digestible for the, I I'm always like, either it's like a new patron or someone just messaging me on Instagram. I'm always like dumbfounded that I, I found a way and I found like, you know, how to do it and how to like master it. And then from there I went into things like serial dilution and I, you know, like I've had many talks with you about, you know, refinement of like, just like agar recipes, things like that. But yeah, it does seem so foreign and so huge to the average person. Um, like, so how, I mean, like I, I'm, I, I know it's kind of a ramble for me. I'm, I'm going like two different places at once, but like what's, um, I don't know what's most important to you that you want like information wise that you want to, you know, dedicate yourself to, because I feel like, you know, when you, when you have the basics down and you, you've got it, you know, like you can do anything in your space, like what's most important to you at this point, I guess. I think for me, myself personally, the most important thing to me is utilizing the network of people that I have met uh, for their strengths um, and not for myself, uh, because I never did this for myself. Nothing I've done has been for a personal thing. It's just it's something I love. I love mushrooms. Uh, I love mycology. Uh, and I really have met some of the most wonderful people in this community on this journey mm -hmm. doing this. True. And one of the things I realized uh, this past year, um, I moved a few times. Uh, business was kind of crazy. I was trying to keep my head above water. Well, I, you know, undertook these massive moves. Moving equipment sucks. Like if you have to yeah. move, you know, multiple hundred pound tool and die tables and flow hoods and racks and all this stuff, it's a lot. Um, and one of the things I realized through this whole uh, strange year I've had is that I really have this there is this whole network of amazing people, right? And like mycelium, no one organelle can do everything, mm. right? So we are like nodes and mycelium. So we, we all have our specialties. And I think honoring that is really important to me. Um, and this year specifically, um, I'm diving a little more into genomics for myself just to learn more about it. I want to understand uh, like internal transcribed spacer uh, genomics like ITS. And uh, I want to really evolve more into that space. Like I've already done um, sequencing. I've done my own tests, trials. I have my own data pools I've already curated for myself um, and just kind of compiling stuff at this point. But I want to start making all of these projects that I've been working on for years public open source. And I want to try and drive attention and focus to people. I think that are already highly skilled in these areas that need support. You know, they need community support. They need our support um, to be able to do their work more. Like 
for example, um, there is, uh, I was talking to Alan Rockefeller and they're working on a project called Entheom, uh, which is entheom.org and him and this man named Jason, Dr. Jason Slot. Uh, they're both experts in genomics. Uh, everyone knows Alan is, that's like his bread and butter. You know, he's a wonderful photographer, great mycologist, uh, but his work in genomics is amazing. And he's really brought a lot of really great, useful information to the mycology world, especially for anyone intrepid enough to take on sequencing. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they're, they're doing and um, which has been, to be honest, is like the best thing I've heard. But this is my, I am more excited about this project than anything going on that I'm doing. Um, because what they're doing is instead of doing like ITS genome sequencing, which a lot of professionals from the outside world or like cannabis world have already come in, ran a ton of sequencing on uh, Cubensis specifically, um, and made like some phylogenetic trees. Uh, So if you get into like phylogenetics, basically what they do is they take these genetic markers in ITS and they find these different spacers and they basically link them all together and create this tree of where they're placed and where they're placed is essentially how they're related. Um, But if you've been around and you've been tooling around with this for a long time and you've been in like the Cubensis community, because it is kind of this weird cult kind of thing. Um, But uh, if you've been around it for a while, uh, I there's, you know, and the thing is, like, I know the histories are off from what the genomic tests show. Right. So, you know, Rissa India is not more closely related to penis envy than uh, Amazon. We know that that's just I mean, it's open information. It's been around forever. Um, And there's there's other genetics, too, that were like this, where they were just kind of like all over scattered. And I think from my own personal understanding, my own research into these subjects is what I understood after doing my own sequencing and learning how to do this is that it's not consistent. It's not like uh, there's no consistency and there's not enough information to really properly delegate uh, the lineage on some of these genetics in, I would say, a correct manner. I I think Mm -hmm. fungi is really is so highly adaptable and changes so much. And one of the reasons why everyone uses ITS, it's become the gold standard is because of the high variability rate. So uh, one of the things that they're doing, though, their project is that they're doing full genome sequence. So versus like an ITS sequence, uh, which is probably, you know, a couple thousand uh, characters long, a full genome sequence is like 40 million characters. So I I don't really know because I'm not an expert in that field, uh, first to admit. Um, And this is an area I'm working on, you know, I want to learn more Uh, because these guys are amazing. They're amazing mycologists. And uh, these are the kind of guys that, I want to get on their level. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Cause they're experts and they've been doing it for decades uh, and I'm not there yet, but uh, these guys are doing this project at entheome.org. It is about, uh, Alan told me it's about $2,000 per test uh, because it's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, so we're, I'm planning on doing a Enigma 
uh, drop on my website. I don't carry Enigma. Um, it's kind of been this on and off kind of thing. We've, we have some like really awesome cultures of it in storage, mm. uh, but I revived it and it's always been this kind of thing that um, it was like community bread. It was supposed to be this thing that was like, you know, freedom genetics, you know, back in the day when it was found. Yeah. Uh, the guy Boomer Smith that cloned the very first Enigma uh, was uh, trying to make it like this open source genetic. So I've always tried to honor that as much as possible just because I, I get it, you know. Sure. Uh, but I also get that people's time is worth something and nobody's just really made a money to donate everything they have to uh, everyone, you know, that wants it. So what we're going to do though, is I'm going to try and set up something for them to accept donations or where we can do a donation drive to try to get a couple tests in. Um, I'm going to get a couple tests in with these guys. Um, I'm going to donate a few mono carry ons to them on uh, some money and see if I can't get a test or two done um, and see if we can't drive a few more, you know, from the community. And yeah, maybe leave it open to a vote for the whole community to kind of pick and choose, you know, like what genetic would you like to see genomed, uh, the whole sequence genome. So um, and be part of that because I think that program is going to be able to, on a genetic level, it's going to be like everything. It's going to be the genetic Bible of yep. Cubensis. So specifically with sequencing, uh, some of the weird stuff, people are working with you know uh some of these weird mutated genetics and it, there's a lot of curiosity there like how is this happening why is this happening i have some ideas but you know it's uh i want to see it on paper you know testing results all these things are gonna like i think that's really what drives everything um like hands down, like I always, I always bring it back to how like in cannabis for quite some time, there was just anecdotal. This one makes me sleepy. This one makes me feel like I drank coffee. Yeah. Uh, and then this one's in between or slight, you know, hybrid, you know, hybrid this, hybrid that. And then, and then there was like, Oh, there's different cannabinoids. And it's like, Oh, there's terpenes. Oh, there's an entourage effect. And then now even like I have like my results for the couple that I've bred that I've had tested for HPLC. That's cool. But like you need that to to build some kind of regularity in in a market where like we're at some point like there's going to be some kind of record you know I don't know if it's ten years twenty years who knows but like recreational mushroom, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, it is. It's wild. You know, um, but yeah, wow. This this all this information is is very new to me. Um, I'm not. I'm. You think you're far away, man, dude? I'm like I'm just like an open book to any kind of information coming my way. So, yeah, you know, like, like I'm like, cool, HPLC, I know what that is. And I got my little paper to show me my alkaloid profile. But this is like, you know, deep, deep, you know, genetic code stuff. Um, so what kind of um, what kind of things do you think you will be derived from having that like lineage of all these different um, just like all these different, you know, genome product projects put together? What do you what do you think the the bigger picture will kind of show or what do you think? I think the bigger picture for me as a naturalist and an observer, uh, this is something I talk openly on my uh, agar alchemy classes. Uh, pretty active about this kind of conversation is just um, being responsible and having ethics in what you do with the organism 
Uh, specifically, as someone who works with genetics, offers genetics and accessibility to genetics, is that there has to be education about what you're doing and understanding the organism and the ethics that go behind it. Because from an advanced mycology state, uh, there are definitely some unethical practices. The problem is, is that if, uh, and this is a very like kind of like a walk on eggshells kind of subject is that um, we're not looking at the whole scope of alkaloids, right? So genomics go hand in hand, and that's another topic that needs to be curated and people need to support the guys that are out there doing good testing uh, because the ones that are doing good testing and have good standards they're they're learning too like so you're supporting you getting tests they're learning they're getting better at their craft because that's their passion if you give them the avenue to keep going they're going to get better at what they do and they're going to understand their process better and better and better. And eventually it's going to be this polished thing. And that's what you want because then you know their tests are going to be fucking consistent every time. And what will hopefully happen is we'll stop worrying about like these major alkaloids, right? Like Bayo, Noreo, psilocybin, psilocin, right? Like, but let's, stop talking about those and get into the minor alkaloids because that's where I think the gold is. And that's going to go hand in hand with genomics. So on one side, we have alkaloid content. And I know everyone right now is, is this, it's, we're all competitive and that's great because that's what keeps people motivated. Some people really need to be competitive, uh, you know, feel like they need to measure up or show someone else off. That, that's great. If that's your motivation, keep going, you know, whatever motivates yeah. you, especially uh, in this space, because for me, uh, from my personal standpoint, like if I don't really care how people do it, the more data, the better, right? Uh, yeah. For whatever purpose, uh, self-fulfilling or not, you know, um, because at the end of the day, what's going to end up happening, this is again, what I, I, I say, I talk about openly on Igor Alchemy is that there's unethical approaches to creating genetics. Okay. And when I say creating genetics is finding morphology or phenotypes um, that you're creating through stress, through harm, through toxins. Uh, and I know anyone out there that may tune into this podcast, if you know what I'm talking about, don't do it. You know, the ethical part is because the ethical problem is that if you're curating, um, a toxic stressed organism marketing it as this awesome magic mushroom and buy my magic mushroom stuff and grow them and eat them that's the problem it's the eat them part right so uh let's just bring it down to a basic ground level as uh do you want to eat tyson chicken or do you want to eat farm-raised pasture-fed chicken that's eating bugs and running free or do you want to eat a bird that's never seen the sun and i think from a food standpoint uh that's a no-brainer especially in this community like a lot of people are very health-minded right so yeah uh ethical breeding ethical genetics has to be important 
And that's where the alkaloid testing and genomics come into play, you know, and that's where I, uh, if you go on to like my website and you check out like the stuff I run, uh, we run this like perpetual cycle of genetics. I've had the same stuff in my stall for, you know, almost a decade now. We're, we're just rocking and rolling, developing. And sometimes we go back to scratch. Like I have this like legacy binder full of spores and, you know, we hit the reset button sometimes and go back seven years in spores, you know, and they're like, Hey, that's that print I took the very first spore print I ever took. We're growing off it still, you know, like, um, and that's sometimes because genetics need a reset, you know, um, life does not occur in a balanced state inside a plastic tote. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, I think my big message to everyone is just keeping it, uh, ethical, safe, uh, so that way it can remain fun. Right. Uh, I think the, uh, harm, harm, uh, like assessment kind of conversation, people need to start thinking about a little bit more, mm, you know, yeah. um, it, it's important. Uh, there's a lot of guys in this, in this scene I've met over the years and, uh, that all started around the same time as I did. And just talking to people and hearing their stories and this like amazing changes that happened in their lives. Uh, but none of them were growing penis envies, you know, none of them were growing mutants. Uh, we had to dig through the network to find a guy who had it right. Yeah. Like I, I've stumbled upon some, uh, uh, army vet. He was like one of my first friends I made in this community and uh good dude. And, uh, he was the one I got my, my PE from. And, uh, it felt like I had to become part of the club to get it. Now you, yeah, you know, now you don't have that, right. You can just go on yeah. a website and buy it. So Crazy. I think, I think it's a responsibility to the outside world being a community member and people that have like, you know, it, we don't have to be friends, you know? I mean, there's all these little groups and pockets, Facebook, Reddit, Instagram, all these different social media platforms. People find their space and where they, they like. And I think that's the best place, you know, is to find your space, but uh, talk about this stuff, you know, like a natural mushroom. Uh, that you would find in the wild is going to have a thin stipe, discharge purple spores, sometimes gold. Um, they're going to have a cap that opens um, all the basics in the quintessential mushroom iconic shape. And that's because they're healthy organisms that exist in the wild. And these mutations are occurring because they are occurring in controlled environments. This is why food and meat Specifically, if you look at the meat industry, they have a lot of these issues uh, from breeding. It's like inbred, inbred issues. Uh, They're in controlled environments, not natural. Uh, So we're seeing that in like hyperspeed within the mushroom cultivation world in space because the mushroom life cycle is so short, right? We can run them through like real fast. You know, you can do if you're a maniac, you can do like 10 generations in a year. So um it's it's one of those things that we can see really quickly what happens when you're inbreeding and uh, isolating and not allowing the mushrooms to have their natural communities, right? So 
Um, that's what flushes out the bad genetics in the wild is that they just die. They don't have the opportunity for life uh, because they're not fit. Uh, and it's one of the first things we see in um, over isolated genetics is the second you get into an ice like hardcore isolates, uh, they lose the ability to reproduce. So they stop dropping spore. Uh, they don't discharge them. And the whole bowler drop, I'll call theory, uh, is where the water molecule attaches to the spore that's attached to the basidium, uh, off-kilters the weight and allows the spores to drop. Uh, you would think this would still happen, but there's something going on as far as like some anatomical feature that's changed and not allowing these spores to come off the sterigmata, uh, which I have not been able to observe and understand why. Um, that's also one of those little weird, fascinating things I can't figure out. Um, but it is something that is kind of perplexing because if you have uh, livestock and they stop being able to breed, they're not good livestock, right? So right, it's yeah. just one of those things I think it's like, if we think about it from like a uh, holistic view, it's pretty clear to see that there's there's some things there going on that need attention and maybe we should look at them a little more seriously. Wow. Makes sense. The Tyson chicken versus the, you know, the, I don't know, the one or two that are running around your backyard, happy as can be. Right. So right. you had mentioned something. I have an idea, but I'm not sure if it's what you're talking about. The chemically induced stress to like alter morphology. And could you kind of speak to that a little bit? I've, I've the only morphology that I've seen that's like abnormal in my own personal research and development is with my Holy ghost. Um, like it's always, doesn't matter if it's in bags or tubs on the second flush. I always get first these like somewhat like coral or what do you call What do you call the thing on the back of a shark? It's like fin. Yeah. I get like fins yeah, get like growing everywhere yeah. and then I'll get actual like, you know, fruiting bodies, just normal fruiting bodies, you know, medium size, little slightly larger than first flush growing in unison both at the same time but that was that that i think is just from the actual breeding process itself the two genetics you know coming together um but what are some of these like chemical induced you know stressors that are being used just to kind of bring awareness to that because i have no idea what you're talking about or i have a very vague idea i want to well, say uh, like there's breeding um like products that people are using for this i, I don't know uh, well, there are, uh, there's a number of stuff I, I'm probably not going to speak on because I don't want it to turn into some um, rat race uh, for people who are taking advantage of the organism, if that makes sense. Can we talk about it off camera? Yeah. Well, yeah. Off, and I, 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 could, I, could, I could. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I can right. share. Uh, I'm willing to share about uh, something that's kind of like this old clandestine thing that floating, floating around for a really long time and just to educate people a little bit more publicly on is like the use of snake venom in breeding oh, right yes. okay yes, so yes, snake yes. venom is a toxin uh that is a necrosis creates necrosis which is death of cells is essentially what necrosis means and when you put a toxin into the vicinity of a dicarion which is a bread mycelium uh something that you would grow um what ends up happening is two things. It either A, de-dicaritizes because it's it's literally, you're, you're killing it. Okay, so de-dicaritizes and you have a monoculture or a, not a monoculture, I'm sorry, a monocarion. 
Uh, and you could do this to like two different cultures. And then you marry the two monocarions and they forced the bread, right? Yeah. You forced them to breed through like the most savage way possible. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, come aware on. Of, I'm aware of this from, I believe the neck, is it neck D? Are you sure the, uh, Oh, oh yeah. There's like some venom, venom isolated uh, pans and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. By no means, I'm not casting any judgment on. No, no, no. I know exactly. Yeah, for anybody who hears this, no, yeah, it's the the coolest shit I ever heard about. There's no no judgments whatsoever. Experimentation and science happens. (laughs) So, it's one of the things though is that it's understanding actually what's happening though. See, that's the thing. There's always the surface level. We're not looking at the diagram of the life cycle. We're getting into what's happening, right? So what's happening is you're putting a toxic chemical and adding it into this environment and what's causing it to either mutate because you're literally fracturing its DNA, Mm. right? Uh, or you are uh, causing it to detichiritize itself because it's literally just like um, it's just being dissolved by the wow. necrosis of so it's occurring to it. So uh, that's, I think, a very unethical way. It's kind of like this cheat code thing I think some people have used. Uh, I don't. And here's the thing. If you guys are trying to breed hybrids in into this space. The hybrids, there's nothing wrong with hybrids. I think that there can be actually some really great genetic, from a genetic standpoint for the organism, there can be some of these amazing things that happen. You can take something that's way over isolated trash, okay, and I'll be the first one to put it out there to everybody and I'll probably get some heat for it, but albino penis envy is garbage. It's a garbage genetic Unless you get a brand new, freshly found albino, if you have the old original cut from like PF Fanaticus, that thing has been in circulation for like 30 years. Like, good luck. It is dead. It can only survive a life cycle to fruit one time, if that. They're highly prone to disease, uh, mushroom disease, not, you know, it's, they're isolated bottleneck genetic. They are not aggressive. They cannot handle any stress. Uh, if you give them too much air, they die. If you give them yeah. too much substrate, they contaminate. Mm. Uh, they get fevers. They get, uh, that's called like thermogenesis and they'll get like, they'll like sweat and get this fever and then all of a sudden trike. Uh, yeah. and that's because these, these types of, um, aspergills can exist cohesively with them. Uh, and I think in some weird symbiotic way. So you may hey, think you have a clean culture. You've fruited it numerous times. Uh, and, hey, but for whatever reason, it just, you know, well, you get to this point after a few years of growing something where it just wants to trike and trike and trike and they get sick. Uh, and it's because they're so bottlenecked that they can't even survive their life cycle anymore. Yeah. Whereas I've had stuff that's like wild. I've cloned like 30 times and they've had it like for three or four years straight, the same clone off of one spore grow still throwing canopies. And it's because it's so strong. It's got all of its immune system. It's nervous system is in place. Yes. Right. So um, it's, it's kind of from a genetic standpoint, creating a hybrid where you're breathing life into something that's overly isolated 
is a good thing for the organism. They, you know, they could co-mingle, maybe you get a great phenotype or some awesome new morphology and you can clone it and stabilize that. That'd be great. Uh, you might see some really awesome vigor uh, for, uh, for just a uh, example. I, I uh, crossed uh, Kosumai Classic, which is a pain in my ass and uh, ape, my original ape culture. And they're yeah. both kind of pains in the necks. Yep. Uh, they're very like tomentose mycelium, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes a hard to fruit. I don't know why. Um, they're, they're always very lackluster in speed. Yep. So very anyways, slow. I, yeah. very slow, but I crossed them and I have this like cut and it's been like renamed two or three times. So it was like, originally it was gorilla. Then I was going to call it uh, extraterrestrial, which is what I think we've landed on officially for the name. But, uh, I've been working it for a few years and I'm still not ready to release it, but it's, uh, uh we just found a albino too, uh, which is cool. But the genetic is so healthy. It's yeah. the weirdest thing. I have these two horrible genetic lines that I've just, I don't know what to do with. You know, I don't want to give them up because I'm weird and I like to hold on to all these old genetics. But like, yeah, yeah. you know, I put them, I got them together, uh, bred them through a non, I bred them through physical stress. So uh, not chemical stress. Uh, so I'll throw that nugget of information out there. You do with it what you will. Just think about it. You'll you'll figure it out. And that's the part too. Like as someone who's like crossed all these bridges, like you got to figure it out. That's where the, that's the fun. Like the journey is figuring it out. It's not getting told what to do, yep. you know, figure it out. That's the cool part. And then you can be really proud of yourself that you did, you know, yeah, like exactly. and once that light bulb goes off, bing, you're going to be, so ecstatic about it like oh my god yep. i figured it out yep. you know yep. uh, that's the part that like for me like uh when i hear and talk to friends and i i like to do the same thing i just throw a couple nuggets out there get them thinking you know because everyone's gonna figure it out it's gonna mm -hmm. happen you know but yep. uh physical stress uh you can take advantage of the way that they are naturally and exploit it in a natural physical stress response. Um, it just think about it like this. If you have a colony of mushroom mycelium living in a giant pile of cow dung, well, you know, they evolved to be able to survive catastrophe. Like, I don't know, a cow stepping in its own shit, you know, they're going to recolonize. You do it all the time. If you cultivate, you're breaking up grain bags, you're watching them recolonize this space. Mm -hmm. uh, that is a stress you are creating to them. You're fracturing their colony. You're breaking them up. Uh, but from a anatomical sense, they have all of the building blocks they need to regenerate. Uh, it's kind of like healing from a cut or a wound. Your body has all the cells to regenerate and heal itself. Uh, so the mycelium in many ways is like our bodies and stomach. It's like a living stomach, but at the same time, it's like us. They're very much like us. And they have this wonderful regeneration that they're able to recolonize and re-network. Um, but you can exploit that process for hybridization and that's natural. You're not doing anything by incorporating chemicals. Uh, you're not creating some sort of toxicity to your, to your genetic, right? So it's a real cross versus a um something that i don't really have i have a name for it but it's 
it's just, I, I don't know. It's uh, not something I'm willing to share at the moment because I think it, it could really sure. lead, lead. I don't want to lead the community in the wrong direction. If someone else wants to do that, they can be them, but I won't do it, you know? So um, as far as, uh, I guess, yeah, I think that kind of sums it up. Yeah. Okay. So you're just speaking to me, man. These are things that I've observed also, um, certain varieties, like regardless of how many times you run it from tissue um, or just even from spore, it's just like, boom, it just every time beautiful beautiful stuff i find that a lot of the like original um cubensis strains i have like um b plus is pretty good in that the gt i have is like you know similar to that i actually recently just took my ape which was for sure in a degradation stage just you know went from when i first had it beautiful flushes um medium to large size fruits now is just like kind of clustering there's not really a full canopy trike is very predominant you know very small smaller percentage but like you know that's not usually something that occurs in my space slower than usual growth so i was like okay i'm not going to just you know inbreed this again over and over and over try to save it or find another one so i took that and i crossed it with my full metal ghost which was the uh, steel magnolia which is another one that's just slowly degradating everyone and their mom has that one and I bred that with the true albino teacher ghost, which is another one that like, if you have that original ghost cut, oh my God, that thing is slowly, you know, going downhill too. So I took those two, bred it, I took that, and bred it with the ape and I've gotten something actually, um, everyone might, some, some of my patrons might be mad cause I haven't released it yet, but I want to send it to you if you want to run it. Actually, it's a, uh, it's pretty beautiful. It, um, it's got an almost green blue and green tinge to on um, the caps and then ends with like this beautiful um, like light tan coloration on the cap and they're medium to large and man it has some vigor too i had like six different phenotypes they were all basically the same and i had one albino that was like a kind of a one-off super tiny fruits so i was like ah, it happens but man um yeah i'm really interested in breeding and uh seeing some really cool things from that so how how are you if you don't mind me you know you know kind of like asking your your process what is your like i'm doing basic cereal dilution i don't have to call it basic but i'm i'm doing more like spore swab dilution um how are you i mean without giving off you know all your your secrets but what does your process look like what do you what systems do you like to use uh i think uh doing cereal dilutions are great it, it is yeah. it is uh it's riddled with challenge but mm. you know it's um it's a process that i think is kind of like this uh rite of passage, you know, uh, and anyone out there who's like looking to get into hybridizing, it is probably the place to start. Now, you're going to learn so much about it uh, in taking those observational notes, you know, and making that observation of watching these things happen, uh, trying to catch monocaryons and isolate monocaryons is a whole thing in itself. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a lot of fun and it really does open your eyes to, uh, I think, understanding how this life cycle really begins from sport, right? And like kind of really opening your eyes to the immense amount of life that can come from one mushroom. Yeah. Uh, it's just, right. it's unbelievable. Right. So, um, doing a cereal dilution is definitely the way to go. I think for a standard approach to 
doing hybrids. I think once you get into uh, maybe some advanced anatomy and understanding, uh, there's there's other methods that are more natural and you can you can kind of uh, use. And that's kind of where I threw those nuggets out for um, just because like I, I really have like a weird ethical stance on the hybridizing because the thing is, is that there 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 is a good side to it and there's also a pretty bad side to it too. And the bad side is that um, if if hybridizing, I see this is kind of a challenge for me because it's it, it, you have to be as a mycologist, if that's what you want to call yourself, no matter what kind of level of work you're doing, if you are trying to bring something new to life, you have to be extraordinarily critical about your work. Um, and the reason I say that is because I have thrown away hundreds of hybrids, hundreds. Yeah. I just fruited them. Not good enough. You know, so and the thing is, is that if everyone just says good enough, you know, I think this one is a little different. Well, that's not good enough. I'm sorry. If you say I think it's not good enough, throw it away and start over. And the reason I say that is because then what will end up happening is what you get is a market loaded with hybrids that are not actually hybrids. And that's where the genomics come back into play. So we're going to be able to do full genome sequences, right? So everyone that finds a new pheno or some sort of different morphology wants to slap a new label on it is not (sighs) going to ask you that game's over. Yeah. You know, it's, it's coming to a very quick end in some regards. And the thing yeah. is, is that, and it, look, everyone needs to do their own thing, whatever works. More mushrooms, the better for me. That's where my stance is always. But as someone who really is pretty critical of his own work, I'd like to see people be a little critical of their own. Um, I would never call anyone out, ever say anything to anyone. That is not my place. Uh, never would ever do that. That is just not part of my own person, my own ethics. Mm-hmm. Um, but you should make sure that anyone who's listening to this podcast, if you're getting into hybrids, please be hyperly critical of your own work. If you think, and you have to say, I think this is good, it's not good enough. When you open that tub and you jump up two feet in the air and you're like, yeah, that's it, man. You got it. You know, you got it. You got found your gold nugget. You found your perfect hybrid Um, You know, those are the moments that you have to work for, because otherwise what's happening is that you had a failed hybrid, right? And you bred one of the two genetics and you just got a different pheno. God damn. Thank you. Thank you. That is, dude, I'm, I'm so, please continue. Exactly. You're, you're exactly right, man. Or it looks just like something they just, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Well, and they think the crazy part is like, dude, I, you know, um, I don't, I don't like actively seek out talking to tons of new people. Cause I think my, my, my social, uh, gas tank is not the biggest these days, but I, it's cause we, I have taught a ton of friends in the community that I talk to a lot and we like to just chat about genetics. And the cool thing is that when people do share their grows good or bad, the cool thing is, is that when someone says, Yo, check out this picture of Yeti. And they have like weird corally fins. This just happened. Uh, and I'll give you guys a really cool example of this. But uh, 
Mr. Moss, Maiko, was my boy. I love that dude. He's great. Um, he was growing Yeti and he had these corally fins. They were almost like upside down caps, no stipe. Now I just mm. pulled the same thing out of a Yeti tub, like the same week. And I thought it was so wild. And every time you make these observations cross beyond, like, you know, cross state lines, be, you know, one guy's on the other side of the country. The first thing that goes through my head is I go get my little notebook and I'm like, okay, this date, this time it's freaking December. That guy's growing Yeti. What's his environment like? Where's he at? Okay. Why did this culture in two different locations at this time of year, this thing is solid. It never has ever done anything weird. It's like the most incredible fruits, you know, they're, wow. they're amazing, you yeah. know, and they're always so consistent. And uh, I really like Yeti because Yeti is a teacher, you know, yep. it's a, uh, from yeah. true albino, it's a tat, you know, it's yep. a ghost. It's, it's from that family and it's not yeah. been uh, bred in with envies. I don't specifically, mm -hmm. I, I have a lot of envies. I work with a lot of them, uh, but there's something about their alkaloid profile that I don't vibe with. Uh, but the tats, mm -hmm. the, the albine teachers specifically are just, I don't know, something so amazing about them. Very true. Uh, but yeah, so it was a cool, fascinating little thing. Uh, and those are the fun things to kind of take notes of when, you know, looking at different genetics and what happens uh, from finding correlations and why would a genetic do that? Because I do, I, at this point in my time doing this and making like observations, I absolutely use the community as my giant research tool. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, if you guys see me like liking posts and stuff on there or commenting, I'm online literally gathering data. That's what I do. Like, oh, you're growing my genetic? You're in Cali? Cool. Nice. I'm making observations constantly. You know, I'm yeah. like, okay, this genetic did that. This is how it did there. You know, I'm always trying to find a way to, I want to understand the organism to a point that's like, uh, I want to understand every intricacy, seasonal differences, uh, something to do with, you know, the elevation in which they were grown at. It, obviously, RH is a huge thing with especially some guys I know that live in like arid desert climates. It's just such a different world. You know, uh, if you're like someone that lives down in Florida, you are not growing the same as someone in like a desert mountain. You know, mm -hmm. it's just a completely different playing field. Yep. Uh, so. Um, battling your element is always a huge thing, even though we're doing a, most of this work indoor, right? So right, right. Um, making these kind of correlations between genetics is really fun uh, for me. And that's kind of one of those things that kind of keeps me like rocking and rolling through different genetics. But mm. um, yeah, I, it just, it, it's just, you know, those are some really fun kind of like observational cues to make. Awesome. I'm interested to know your core tenets of like who you are as a man, a husband, a dad, or just as a person and how those translate into your business, your practices, your research and like things going forward. What, what would you say if you had a handful of those it could be two, four or however many, uh, what are some of the things that mean the most to you? And, and, uh, what are some of the things that you, you, uh, have created your message behind? Uh, I, you know, as just a, a father's, you know, is being a father is a big deal uh, to me. I love my kids. 
there's like wonderful driving force. It's terrifying. Uh, I think that's, you know, the extent of my love is that I get terrified. <laughs> so I'm always like working and doing everything I can to provide the best I can for them, mm -hmm. a plan for their futures and help them. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't really have that growing up. I was, uh, on my own at like 15 years old. Mm. Um, uh, it, it was, uh, I fell into cooking, you know, if I met a chef, uh, in my late teens and, uh, you know, kind of got ran with a kind of a rough crowd for a long time, you know, most of my younger life. And, um, I think coming out of those kinds of lifestyles and I think I, having an opportunity to provide something different for my family is why I work so diligently on what I do. I still pursue my passion is number one. Uh, I like mushrooms. I love mushrooms. I love sharing them with people. I know that um, it goes without saying anyone who's become a befriended me has probably gotten some gift packs of genetics because I can't help myself. You know, like I go right mm. back to like, it's not my business is my business is there. I love my business. I really have enjoyed creating this, like, I guess, brand around my hobby. Mm -hmm. um, I don't really focus on branding very much. I'll be totally blunt. It's probably something I should do more of. But I, uh, I really just love what I do. You know, I love what I do. I've feel like I've gotten this wonderful opportunity and all of the people that support me, uh, I treat like family, you know, like we get, you know, a lot of people support us and they buy our genetics and buy our products and keep us, keep me rocking and rolling and doing what I love. Um, so, you know, if there's ever anything that I need to do to help them, uh, we don't hesitate. There's just no questions asked. We has, we, we jump to it and help people because at the end of the day, the reason why I started offering genetics wasn't just to support my hobby. It was because I had at that point in time already experienced something so profound. Uh, you know, I, I had been doing some, I'll call it mega dosing uh, really frequently. Like I was doing it like back to back to back to back. And uh, uh, I, there's just this weird small blip of time in my life that I experienced something so unbelievably profound that anyone daring enough to do that sort of thing, I would love to be able to help someone have that avenue, right? So um, whether they're home grower and they're exploring their own mind, um, it always comes down to a personal level because you know, it's, uh, to me, there, there's this whole, there's this whole layer way outside of like the, what I would say secular at this point, like information that's floating around, you know, it's always the Terrence you know, five grams, you know, pitch black darkness, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. I could just hear his voice, you know, and yep. it's, it's just completely repeated, repeated in, uh, you know, I really loved a guy like Kalindi. I, I don't know if anyone yeah. would know him. Uh, love 20 gram, I. 20 gram doses. Yeah. Yeah, man. And, uh, I'll be honest. I would never encourage anyone to do it. Uh, it's a, a totally different realm. Uh, but you know, depending on the person, you know, uh, it, it's not something it's, it is really reserved, I think for a certain 
personality type and a certain person who's in a place where they think it's a good idea. Mm. Uh, but it's, um, I think that's why talking about alkaloid profiles is hyperly important right now. And people need to understand that a cube is not a cube, you know, because yeah. you can't have someone that's brand new to this scene thinking that things like tats, ghosts, and penis MVs and these really hardcore work genetics are not what Kalindi I is talking about. Mm. You know, he is talking about from Mother Earth, wild cubensis. You know, he is not talking about some lab grade strain that's been curated by some genius in a, some basement somewhere. You know, that's not what he's talking about. And because the alkaloid profiles are different, I don't personally believe in the entourage effects and some of these studies, you know, or why don't you go eat them and tell us about your entourage effect? Mm-hmm. You know, eat a mega dose, eat 10 grams of penis. I mean, you tell me if that's the same as eating 10 grams of GT. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. not. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's not. You look yeah. at the alkaloid test. There was a test I was looking at literally before we jumped on the call. And uh, manna from heaven. I'm so I'm so stoked about this. No one's tagged him or me, I don't think, but I just saw this results come up and I'll see if I can just read something off. I'm trying to see if I can find it real quick. But there was a there was this result that was posted by one of my friends here online and um, they were stoked about uh, their tests that they had done on this. And I already found I know I remembered who it was. Okay, so amazing results. Number one on the list, Manna from Heaven, P-E-B. Manna from Heaven, P-E is number two. Psilocybin, 3.3%. Silicin is 2.4, And These are astronomical numbers. Let's slide on all the way down to Arisa, India. Psilocybin, 1.28. Silicin, 0.8. Okay, so we're taking a legacy genetic and uh, for anyone listening or tuning into the podcast, psilocin is the um, is metabolized, right? So psilocybin is metabolized in your liver and turned into psilocin, right? And this is what brings on this psychedelic experience in many ways, right? So the reason why this is kind of important is that if you have, uh, you know, 2.4% psilocin on deck, locked and loaded, you know, you are talking about three times more psilocin than something that's on the more natural genetic spectrum, right? So like Tosahachi, for example, is a great one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drew from ITW and I worked on this little domestication project. He found, I domesticated, and we launched this Tosahachi Wild Florida Cube a few years back. And uh, one of the cool things is that Tosahatchee is this unbelievably high testing scores, right? But it tests really high in psilocybin, all right? And it's psilocin uh, levels are very consistent across the board with classic cubes. They're like, you know, up to that 1.2 range down to like the 0.6 range percent. And this is consistent. Each mushroom is different too. For anyone tuning in, uh, this is an old research data that's been pulled around and you can see it even in current tests 
Every test is going to be different because every mushroom has its own alkaloid profile. This was stuff that was done in the 80s and 90s. Uh, this is old information. So we keep testing, keep testing, keep testing. There's always going to be this fluctuation. It's like a wave of alkaloids, right? That's why like, when I've eaten like a small ape, I uh, thought I was going to have like a nice mild time and I oh, yeah. blasted off completely. Um, where, uh, So I think this is the, again, harm reduction conversation is that because if I'm brand new to this, I just started this. Um, maybe some of the guys too that I'm really looking out for are the people that are coming into this for drug rehabilitation, mm. uh, PTSD, uh, people that are experiencing their own life trauma, right? Uh, we want to raise their vibration and raise them up and give them an opportunity to heal uh, through this instead of dampering that. Right. So someone maybe is already a little uh, self-destructive. Right. So they're an alcoholic, drug abuser or something. They have challenges. There's nothing wrong with that. They're trying to heal themselves and find a path to that. And they find out about psilocybin mushrooms and, and their curiosity is just blown out of proportion. They have to do it. They've got to get off these things. They got to do better in life. They want to raise themselves up. They want to heal. So. They, you know, eat a bunch of mushrooms here and there. And they're like, man, this is great. You know, I'm feeling better. Life's better. Uh, you know, maybe I'm on less medications, less street drugs, whatever they're doing, um, whatever it is. Um, maybe it could be a psychological thing, like I said, you know, uh, some sort of state of being. And they're doing better. Then they come across some old stuff like Kalindi And they listen to Terrence. And they're getting into the culture. Right. And they start learning the culture. And then they're like, dude, I've never done more than three grams. We're going to do it tonight. Right. And so they, you know, they have a couple good trips. They start pushing that level and they're something's happening to them. They're getting better. Things are good. And then they eat, you know, 15 to 20 grams of something that's really high potency. And it just fractures their existence, you know, right. and it's, um, it's something that's supposed to ground you, right? So it shouldn't fragment you. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think in, at least from an anecdotal perspective, personal perspective, and I don't say any of these things without doing my research and due diligence. Uh, like always, uh, I got to look like at this from a scientist point of view. As anecdotal as it may be, and some people may dismiss that because it can't be proven by anal analytical review, uh, come on. You know, that analytical review is not everything in our world. It, it cannot define and dictate everything that we do in our lives. So, um, you know, I've gone around, I've talked to like, you know, I would say at this point, kind of like tenured genetic guys and growers and people in all of this scene that have been around a long time. And uh, start asking them questions, you know, break down that door, be vulnerable. Tell me, tell me the truth, you know, and every single time there's this like consistent story. No on 20 grams of GTs. I had a fucking wonderful time. I watched my wife's third eye open and spiral into orbs. And I literally was in the cosmos and, you know, and all these insanely wonderful experiences people have told me these wonderful stories and there is this dark energy that follows some of these really inbred genetics. Mm -hmm. So they the think 
for uh, harm reduction, of course, it's just educating, right? Like you don't need to eat high quantities of high uh, potency strains. That's the whole point. Less tissue, right? You don't have to digest as much. Yeah. Um, so uh, people can really get a lot further and a lot less. And that is good for some. And it is a good thing. And I do think that the minor alkaloids and carbolines and all these testing are really going to reveal a lot of information that is not known or understood. So this is why like hybridization is not a bad thing. Um, there's got to be some ethics with it. And education needs to get back to the experience. You know, I think for me, as someone on looking into this community, this community has been just driven by uh, maybe a little bit too much focus on business and not enough focus on why they started the business in the first place. You know, uh, congratulations, you have earned your space in this, I guess, new industry of sorts. But like, you know, keep your passions, keep your head on, make sure you stay stable and uh, have a good outlook for everyone to make sure that you, it's a, a responsible outlook, right? You know, um, I think that's where, for me, uh, it is important to kind of share that message, well or not well received. Uh, but it's it's because it can't be um, this this rat race for positioning for big business and things like that if you don't know what the hell you're working with. Right. So um, I, that's why I really support a lot of the project groups that are going on. The guys that specialize in those projects, I'll throw up my hands and say, I know for a fact that probably my specialty is anatomy in understanding how these mushrooms function and digest and operate on an anatomical level. Uh, but, you know, guys like uh, Jason Slot, Alan Rockefeller with their genomic projects and a lot of the different labs that are doing alkaloid testings like Flourish Labs, Magic Myco, and even the Hyphae Cups, they, you know, I've heard there's some consistencies there. It just from the outside with people uh, doing alkaloid testing, um, just know that if someone's, if somebody's processes and their, their process of their, uh, of their testing is in place, and they are consistently running the exact same protocol that their testing has consistency, whether it's a hundred percent accurate or not is totally debatable. It's HPLC. It's not mass spec, right? So when you're getting into mass spectrometry, uh, using a mass spectrometer, it's a, uh, it's a whole different playing field, you know, but no one's got access to that because you need licensing. Universities may have licensing to do something like that. So, um, I do think that eventually we'll somebody in our community and who's like carrying this flag for the mushroom community will probably be able to reveal some information uh, that they've been doing with mass spec. Um, the unfortunate side is I think a lot of that side is for pharmaceuticals, right? Mm -hmm. So synthetics, um, extractions, all of these is, is, it's all a form of taking something from its natural state and turning it into something that's not natural. Right. So, um, again, another thing people should be considering as far as ethics go, but, uh, yeah, on the really positive side to everything, as far as there's so much to be learned, right? Like we're literally the tip of the iceberg. So my encouraging statement about 
the whole harm reduction is that to for and this is why we call it agar alchemy is that as an alchemist uh i don't know if you've done any like esoteric reading or anything mm. like that got into that at all but you know, as an alchemist you have to pull the gold out of everything right mm. and the gold is the silver lining in everything so everyone's probably heard that phrase the silver lining like you can take a bad situation or a bad thing and find something positive in it um, it doesn't mean any of this is bad it's just there's always something that i find in ethical issues when i look at genetics and mushrooms and i really want it to follow this natural course but as an alchemist there's always going to be lessons and things to be learned from this right like we're going to find minor alkaloids maybe some carbolines will be more prevalent in hybrids and we'll be able to learn about those chemicals more because we did hybrid work and maybe because of guys like doing these genome projects we're going to be able to find out that mushrooms are always fluctuating in wavelengths and they're it's going to be mm. some impossible task to try to create a phylogenetic tree for fungi because fungi shouldn't be put on a phylogenetic tree because they're not plants mammals and they're their own weird freaky thing. And, uh, you know, who knows, you know, you could open these massive doors to research. And, um, I mean, look at all the research that's being done with like cordyceps and gourmets and different medicinals. So I'm excited for psilocybin mushrooms to be, have more of the spotlight because of how effective they are in treating different ailments and for medical purposes, and also just for people to enjoy, um, the process of either growing them, eating them. Uh, there's just so much to be gained from them. I think fungi are, are here. They're, they're here for us. I think if we're here for them, uh, it, it creates the symbiosis, right? Where uh, that's what we learn with, you know, fungi and mycology is there's always these symbiosis between things in nature. And um, we are symbiotic with fungi and specifically these fungi. I don't think we'd be here without them. So creating a reminder in a place for people to be reminded of our own symbiosis with them, respect them, treat them right. And uh, I feel like they'll be like this guiding light for us and they'll, you know, propel us in the directions that we need to. Couldn't have said any of that better, man. I could listen to you for, I, I think I could go through one of your four hour classes and just be content, man. I, uh, I have a couple lasting questions for you and I'm sure we can, um, and I would love to have you on in the future too, to, to be updated on your, your current, which will be your net and then uh, future work. Um, one of the lasting questions would be for the enthusiast, for the beginner, what are some of your, maybe like two or three, like quick tips or words of encouragement, things that they, they should focus on as they're beginning their own journey in mycology and growing mushrooms? Uh, yeah, I do. That's a great question. Uh, I would say to anyone that's new, getting involved, cultivation, um, self-exploration, uh, just remember contamination happens. It's mm -hmm. part of it. Part of the package deal, man. There's yep. nobody out here that is going to run a perfect grow 100% of the time without ever having failure. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's part of doing this. So uh, be kind, courteous to one another and enjoy the journey um, and don't overthink things. It's a lot simpler than you think. And uh, if you're really excited and you're really brand new, 
uh, sometimes a little more hands off on your cultivation will help. Um, I think that's a really common beginner thing where you're like, open the tub. Oh my God, there's white mycelium. Close the tub. And they do this 20 times a day, you know, so, <laughs> yep. uh, you know, so yep, just yep. Uh, take your time, be patient, um, study up, read knowledge is power, and it'll help you be more confident in your ability uh, seek out good resources. And uh, this is uh, just something I could share from my class. Um, there's, I always share this, um, a quote by Aristotle uh, about be a free thinker and be critical about everything you hear. Uh, and really the whole core of that is that there's more one, there's more than one path to your goal. Um, everyone has that in life. So, and this is the same thing with cultivation and growing. Um, there is no one tech that is better than the other. Um, there's a spectrum of techs and it doesn't matter about your tech because if you're in the desert, my tech won't work for you and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of little intricate details. I'll start thinking about, uh, your environment, your environment, not someone else, some guy you watched his videos, you know, it's, uh, uh, tapping into yourself, your environment, and just, yeah, have fun. The number one thing is to have fun and enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. There's so much to learn and don't get overwhelmed with that. Just take your time. That's great advice. I agree. Don't open your tub 20 times a day. Have fun. <laughs> learn. You know, I, I get that. Been there, done that, you know. Um, I have one lasting question. I ask everybody who I interview on the show you can answer it long form, short form, interpret as you may, but Bass, how are you growing every day in mind, body, spirit, and mushroom? You know, every day is just, uh, every day is a true blessing, you know? And I think if you, look at your existence as that, um, that is all you need to get up every day and better yourself for yourself. You know, it's not for anyone else. It's all about you. Uh, because once you are the best you or a version that you are very happy with of yourself, pursuing your own personal interests, goals, um, outside of mycology, it's so much more. It's all, life is so complex. Uh, just give it your all and never give up, you know, and that's, that's what I try and do every day. You know, it's, um, there is no quit and give yourself a break too. You know, shellers, you know, that's, uh, something I'm always working on for myself as I'm showing myself, uh, compassion, love, and grace throughout my own struggle and failure uh, is the number one. I'm such a huge critic of myself. Uh, I have probably very unrealistic standards <laughs> that uh, I'm sure some of my friends would attest to. Um, so yeah, it's every day. I think it's just a, it's self-improvement and working toward a goal for myself and what I envision for my future. Um, and I think mushrooms are just go hand in hand with that, you know, it's really directed me in so many ways in my life and continues to do so. So I kind of like vibe with their schedule and kind of like weave and flow with, you know, the, the waves of it all. So 
Um, yeah, you know, it's just finding time to meditate, find your center. You know, that's that's my big mantra to myself is just, you know, be active, center myself, work, family, love. That's it. It's everything. That's life. Man, Basidium Equilibrium, Bass. My friend, how can people find you? How can they get in contact with you? And how can they most support you? Uh, you know what? You can find me on Instagram. Uh, if you guys need to contact me, my website email works great. Uh, it's definitely good for communications. Um, it's kind of hard to answer messages on social media, so I don't really do it too much. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you can contact me through the business email. And What's the website? Basidiumequilibrium.com. Uh, and we also have a lab website uh, for lab supplies like uh, Petri dishes and tools is uh, Bass Mycology, B-A-S Mycology.com. And uh, yeah, you guys can reach me there. And uh, anything you guys do to support us is always we're super grateful for it keeps us rocking and rolling doing our research and learning more and growing and trying to uh, share that same passion knowledge and uh, everything that we learn with the rest of the community perfect again thank you so much for making some time to share your journey your research and i look up to you in so many ways i Man, I can't tell you how inspired I have been just from seeing your posts. It's just also a reminder to keep going. Like you said, there is no quit. Keep going. And yeah, honored and appreciate you. And I, I hope I get to see you at the, the next event um, for Oklahoma um, Mushroom Festival. I think there's one coming up relatively soon, sooner than later. And yeah, if you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure to give it a five-star review wherever you're listening whether that's Spotify or iTunes or Apple or uh, wherever you're listening. There's several that I stream from from here. Um, and yeah, Bass, thank you so much again. And yeah, bro, keep on killing it. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It was really good talking. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, we'll make sure to have you back on here maybe in a couple months just to see where you're at and see how you're, you're contributing. And hopefully I'll have something to contribute more so by then too. So yeah, awesome, bro. Cool. Awesome, right, brother. Man. Thanks, man. Thank you, guys. Have a good night, day, wherever you're at in the world, and we'll talk to you soon. Cool. All right, peace. Peace.